Winchell's Business Lunch. You're listening to WGN Radio, and now you are listening to Terry Savage, the syndicated financial columnist. Hi again, Terry. Hello again. I don't know why we weren't connecting, but I'm here and ready to talk about the markets, which are like you just reported, like on the edge, so to speak. And that's the national story. Of course, people are very interested in the state and city story in Chicago today. Isn't that interesting? If the city of Chicago uh, election were represented by a stock market, I think it would be a big down day. Not because of one thing or another, but because suddenly there's a great deal of uncertainty about how the financial future will be handled. We don't think about that so much, and we haven't been talking about that so much. We've been talking about crime. We've been talking about social issues, but I guess the next mayor will certainly have something to say about the city's finances, too. Well, a lot to say. I mean, nobody's really talked about the finances, but it's a a simple fact. I know we're going to have Sheila on later from truthinaccounting.org. They keep track mostly of states, but the city, too. It's a very simple fact that our pension funds are just woefully underfunded, the municipal pension fund, the police, and so forth. Number two, we have a tax problem. We can't just pile all the burden on homeowners. And there's, when you start saying things like, on both sides, by the way, both candidates, as I was listening last night, have plans to help the city out and to spend money, uh, whether it's on every school, every this, every that, every police whatever it might be. The question is, where does the money come from? Federal candidates can get away with saying stuff like that. You know why? When they get in power, they can get the government to print the money. But the city can't do that. The state can't either. I mean, uh, J.B. Pritzker's initiatives at his State of the State address, I thought, sounded terrific, but I still wonder where that money comes from. Well, you're going to have the expert on. We'll be talking with Sheila Weinberg in a little bit, because the state can play some interesting games, I call it accounting ledger domain, by moving things around. And because primarily a lot of money was sent to the states under the authority of the pandemic, it's supposed to be used for some things that, well, Sheila will tell you how they moved it around. But the fact is in the city, it's a much more stringent budget. You see what comes in and you see what you can spend. And we have huge obligations that we need to fund. And I, you know, I, I'm a lifelong Chicagoan. I'd love to see a lot more spending done in the city on schools everywhere and so forth. The question is, how, how do you get there? We will uh, visit with Sheila Weinberg, the founder and CEO of Truth in Accounting, in our last segment. If you've got a question for Terry, the number is 312-981-7200. Your last post was about credit card debt, wasn't it? I've re- I have a couple of posts up. I've been traveling a lot, doing a lot of speaking engagements. And so, strangely, I got behind on posting my columns that run in the Tribune on Sunday. But credit card debt has reached record proportions. Yesterday, we had a report that consumer confidence was down the second month in a row. But it's the 11th month that the outlook, the expectations for future, future good things in the economy that consumers report on, 11th month in a row down under a major number that has always led to a recession. So suddenly we have consumer spending 
at record levels, consumer debt on credit cards nearing a trillion dollars, an all-time high, and consumers showing through this latest con uh, conference board consumer confidence survey released a couple days ago that consumer confidence is declining. Now, on the other hand, the jobs numbers look great. Yeah. So what's with that? I think it's the boomers retiring and no and, and very limited immigration. Yeah. I'm not talking about the kind of things crossing the border illegally. I'm talking about corporations being able to bring in people that are skilled and so forth. So we have a very tight labor market. They might offset each other. And a sign of a recession might not be the headline unemployment number. I mean, when I started out, I would get sent to the steel mills in Gary where people were out of work and the auto parts suppliers where people were out of work in a recession. Now it's not going to look like that, I don't think. I think other things happen in a recession, like people have credit problems yeah. and they can't buy homes. Um, last week when you were on with us, Terry, we'll pause here and pick it up here in just a minute. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. There is a line open. You'll get in. Hey, John Williams, thanks for having Ray Kaplan on regularly. We contacted her months ago because of student loan debt. It's impossible for an individual to keep up with all the changes. She has really helped us a lot. We get messages like that all the time about Terry Savage, too, who's joining us now on her usual Wednesday visit. I second that recommendation about Ray, um, and uh, we've been working together on a couple of things. I think what's interesting is there is a plan B. So while everybody's talking about what the Supreme Court ruling will do about the ability to just out and out forgive loans, the you remember we had a flurry of information about a month ago Another plan, there are existing income-based repayment plans, and there's talk of, well, if the Supreme Court doesn't rule that we can just forgive, they will broaden the ability and the amounts that people can apply toward income-based for, income forgiveness loans. So this isn't the end of the story. And of course, this ruling, though they're arguing now, won't happen until June for student loans, and student loans are in uh, forbearance until June, and that, I would bet lots of money on, will continue at least through Labor Day, because it's all going to be up in the air. They said 60 days after the Supreme Court rules, so that will right. get you and the Right, and they'll rule in September. June, that'll give you July and August, so yeah. I, whatever happens, probably, I, I would think that everybody who has federal student loans, now we're not talking about private loans, but federal student loans, you just take a deep breath and don't think about it until we hear sometime in June, and for sure then it'll be at least till Labor Day, and then we're going to be into another presidential election cycle, <laughs> and I, th you know, I think they'll postpone repayment again. So uh, there's, it makes no sense to repay now. It does make sense to talk to Ray, especially if you have private student loans, about consolidations and so forth. By the way, which is better, Treasury bonds or I-bonds? I think they mean T-bills or I-bonds um, from right. Chuck and Lincolnshire. Just give us a short summary. You uh, talk about that every summary. week. Okay. Treasury bills, three-month bills, six-month bills, and one-year bills are IOUs from the federal government. They're auctioned off every Monday as old treasury bills mature and the government needs to raise more money or as we have bigger deficits and they need to borrow more money. It's an IOU directly from the government. The interest rate is set at the auction at midday on Monday. And who sets the rate? All the big financial institutions, foreign central banks, etc., who say, all right, we'll lend you money, U.S., for six months, but here's the rate you're going to have to pay us 
because it looks like, you know, your economy's booming or consumers are spending and, and the Fed's raising rates. So we'll, it will take 5.15%, which is about what you got yesterday. Um, and that happens all the time. You can renew those. It's a $100 minimum, and they're bought at treasurydirect.gov. Also at treasurydirect.gov, the government sales website, you can buy Series I bonds. These are bonds that carry a fixed but very low base rate. And then every six months, an inflation-adjusted rate is added to them, currently making them 6.89%. And that rate changes November and May. You can only buy $10,000 a year. If you buy them now, and we're in March, gosh, March already, you'll get six months of the current 6.89%. But on May 1st, they'll announce a new six-month rate for everybody who buys after that. And that rate could be a little bit lower. We've seen inflation trending down. And that rate will be applied at the end of your first six-month period. You must keep them for at least a year, absolutely. You must keep, you should keep them for five years or you'll pay a three months interest penalty. And again, there's a limitation of 10,000 on I bonds. T-bills, millions. Go pour your millions into IOUs from the government or go buy stocks and take the risk. And that's what the market's saying. Wait a minute, why take that risk? 5% is pretty good. That's the summary. Okay, here's some of your phone calls. Jimmy, you're on WGN. What can we do for you, Jim? Okay, wait one second. Hello, uh, Terry? Yes. Okay, real question. I'm 74 years old. I have a Roth IRA. I do have W-2 income, about 50000 I started in July 2019. How long do I wait before I could take it free? Well, you are supposed to be, you're supposed to wait five years to take the earnings out. So you could possibly start taking it out at any point you needed it. But the whole idea of the Roth IRA is that it grows tax-free. So why don't you take money out of everything else first? Do you have a traditional IRA? Yes. Okay. I'll take well, it out of that. I just wonder about the five year. I do have to wait five years. You, that's you all can, to take the earnings out. Okay, well, the turn, earnings, not off. the it's contribution. Turning. But here's what's really important. You get a break. Are you 72 now? 74. Oh, you're 74 now. So did you already start taking RMDs from your traditional? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, why don't you just postpone the any dipping into the Roth IRA? That's the good deal. You you don't have to take those out. You know, there's no RMD from a Roth. So use your money first that you're going to pay ordinary income taxes on. Jimmy, good luck. This is Pat. You're on WGN with Terry Savage. Hello. What can we do for you? Hi. Hi. I have a 403B, and I'm 72. I need to, um, within the month, take my first distribution, and then later on during the year, take my second. I'm wondering... No, you don't, Pat. This is very complex, but go back and check with your custodian. A new law went into effect. I'm just trying to make sure I get this exactly correct, but... If you're seven, you don't have to start taking it out till the year you're 73. So everything you're saying now will start to apply next year. If you're I thought I had to take it out when I was 72, which was. But they just changed October. that rule starting in starting this year in 2023. Okay, I hope that helps, Pat. Seven. So you 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 have this question. You can delay it though for another year, and if you don't need the money, 
then you might as well delay. But if you do need the money, you could take money out of your 403B at any time. But Pat, I want one more question. You leaving the money in the 403B or you're considering a rollover to an IRA rollover? Uh, I, I'm asking you, you know, it's, I don't need the money. Okay. If you go to terrysavage.com, you will see a, and click under columns, click rollovers. One of the things you need to do is consider whether the investment choices in your old 403B plan designed for younger workers to accumulate wealth are the good conservative choices that you might want to ta- make for investments at this stage of your life. So you can go to Vanguard, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, go to their websites, call them up and say, I have a 403B, will you help me do a rollover? They are all set up for that. Now, a lot of people could call you. If you put your phone number out there today, 12 salesmen would call you immediately saying, I can help you invest that money and they'll take a commission for it. But you can go straight to Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe Price. They all have something called a rollover concierge. Just got a note from T. Rowe Price. They've got a whole service all set up. And that means that you could go to them and choose low-cost funds, more conservative funds, get a little bit of advice, and that might be a better way to handle your 403B. Good luck to you on that, Pat. I think that helps. 630 said, I have a social security question I've been trying to find out for days. When I die... How much does my ex get and how much does my current wife get? I receive $3,000 a month now. Well, I'll give you the numbers, but your ex can collect on your benefit once you have started collecting. If you had three exes and you were married to each of them for 10 years, as long as they were married to you for 10 years, as long as they have not remarried, and as long as your benefit, your your benefit is larger than theirs, and I'm trying to remember, I always get confused if it's half their benefit you get, um, but I will look it up real fast. Um, uh, they can collect on your account as long as they live, all right? Not even when you die. Your ex, okay? Your spouse can collect on your, and to the extent that it's greater, by the way, than what their own benefit would be. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, and as long as your the ex spouse is sixty two or older, I'm, I have to look up these but I've, things. But I have, but I have a current wife and an ex wife. Okay. So do they split it evenly? No, 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 no. Lots of people can collect on your record as long as you were married to ten years. Both your ex spouses and your current wife can collect. Okay, but now, you're going to run out of money here. You cannot. You only. But how do you slice it? Is the question? No, you don't slice it. Oh, okay. They give it to you. That's why Social Security is in such trouble. But <laughs> let's leave that aside. So your ex spouse gets a benefit on your record if you were married ten years ah. and she is or he is unmarried and is age 62 or older. And that will go on forever. And both ex-spouses could do that. Now, your current spouse depends on what her benefits are. So when you die, she will get your benefit, except if you waited till over age 70 to collect higher benefits, she only gets the your benefit as it would have been calculated at your full retirement age. She doesn't get the benefit of yep. you living, having delayed. Delayed, yeah. yeah. Okay? And, and only to the extent that it is greater than her benefit. Social Security will calculate that. And if you want to know the exact numbers, go to MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. 
you can actually put in your numbers, put in your social security number. They will calculate it for you exactly, all the what-ifs. 312-981-7200 for the syndicated financial columnist. You see her in the Tribune and newspapers across the country and hear a lot on WGN Radio. Somebody asked a moment ago, Terry, if the day to buy a Treasury bill is Monday. Treasury bills? No, you can put your order in any day of the week at treasurydirect.gov. First of all, let me say, you go to terrysavage.com and on the right-hand side, scroll down under important links, financial links, and there's an article called How to Buy Treasury Bills. You when you open your account, which is so simple, your name, your social security, your bank account number, your bank routing number, very easy to open an account. And then you click on the tab. Okay, I've got my account open. I want to buy. And so you click on buy direct. And then it'll show you a list of upcoming auctions for 13 week. That's three month bills. Right. We talk about six month bills. That's a little bit higher rate, more attractive. And it'll show you next Monday, the following Monday afterwards. So even if you go in on Thursday, for treasury bills, your order isn't going to be filled until the next Monday at whatever the average auction rate is of all those big global institutions that bid. This, Individuals agree to accept whatever that average rate was. And this listener asks, uh, when is the best day to buy I-bonds? Is that Monday then? No, you can buy I-bonds at any time. Go into your treasury. There's another article link right at terrysavage.com, how to buy I-bonds or everything you must know about I-bonds. You just go in and buy them at any time uh, because the rate's not going to change for six months. This is a question from John on line two. You're on WGN with Terry Savage. John, what can we do for you? Hey, Terry, I'm trying to find out. I know you're not going to like this, but I got two traditional IRAs, and I had to dip into one this month to buy a house. I had no choice. So uh, I make an extra three grand a month. So my question is to put money back into a long-term retirement account that I had to take out of a traditional IRA this month. Can I start a Roth IRA and put three grand a month into it? Mm-hmm. You have to re- return the money to that IRA. Then you could convert, okay? But I know you have to withdraw the money and, re- and return it within 60 days. So if you have enough money to return some of that, you'll take away the penalty. How old are you? 58, but I'm on SSDI. Oh, okay. Well, then I think, I, I'm not sure, but I believe that penalty is waived. But aren't there any other programs. Look, that's a kind of a complex situation. You can use your IRA to buy a first home without penalties. But other withdrawals, it is possible, I know, to withdraw from an IRA penalty free in certain circumstances. So I want you to post that on my blog, my Ask Terry blog at terrysavage.com. Give me your circumstances. There is a way, I believe, that you can now buy and take money out of your IRA without penalty hmm. for an exemption, okay? Can I, not, can even I ask if you're not, not to monopolize anybody else? Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. For not just to monopolize somebody else's time, but what do you mean by without penalty? Because my understanding is that if I take out 100 grand, for example, I'm going to have to put thirty grand away to pay the feds this time next year. Yeah, what, but if is that what you're talking about? Penalty but no, I'm talking taxes? about the ten percent penalty if you're under age fifty-nine and a half. 
That's oh. an additional 10% penalty. So one's a tax, so, one's a penalty, Terry? One's a tax and one's a penalty. And that's what happens when you take money out of an IRA before age 59 and a half. And that's a that's really expensive. It costs you all the future growth. It costs you taxes now. So if there were a better way to bridge that loan, at least for a year and a half, till you're, that's why I asked how old you are, at least till you're 59 and a half, assuming you can't repay it in six, you know, there's a 60-day window so you could take money out of an IRA and move it to another IRA. That's not going to happen with you. You're really taking it out, but taking it out before you're 59 and a half exposes you to a 10% penalty and ordinary income taxes. Good luck to you. Here's another question. I bought I-bonds in October. Can I buy additional bonds now, or do I have to wait until October of this year? No, it's calendar thing. So you get another $10,000 allowance to buy I-bonds this year. So they could and do it know, right now. They could do right, it right exactly. now. And if you're married, you can buy some, and your spouse can buy some. And remember, we, this is a little esoteric, but if you have a revocable living trust, it uses your Social Security number. You could buy $10,000 in your revocable living trust name. And ten thousand in your own name, even though they both use the same social security number. Just a weird exception. But now just everybody who's looking at I bonds now. Yes, they're six point eight nine percent. They have a very low base rate, I forget it's point four one percent or something like that. So a new rate will apply in six months after you buy them. That new rate will be announced May first. If the Fed wins the battle against inflation and gets it down to two percent in a year or two or three, you could find a six-month period where the rate attached to your I-bond would be only 2%. You'd get all the previous interest, of course, and it compounds semi-annually. But the fact is, you're not locking in five years of the current rate. You're only locking in six months, and yeah. Then yeah. a new rate will apply. Understood. 262, does my spouse have to be dead before I can collect spousal benefits? His are higher than mine. No, you, no, your spouse doesn't have to be dead, but it, it has to do with the calculation of what your benefits are and what his benefits are. For $39, you can go to MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. Mm -hmm. It will give you the correct strategy right, to do right. just that, maximize, depending on your age and depending on your spouse's age and what age they start collecting. It is, um, it's like, multi-dimensional chess to figure out the way to truly maximize benefits for your family. This is Jeff on line one. You're on WGM with Terry Savage. Hi, Jeff. Hello. How are you? Good. What's your question? Uh, I have two of That's okay. Number one, we're quickly on these uh, I-bonds. I tried to purchase I-bonds, and I said there's something wrong with my bank account. Is that because my spouse is also on the account? Well, you, no, if they said there's something wrong with your bank account, then you probably either wrote in the amount, the, your bank routing number incorrectly, or your okay. account address on your I-bonds doesn't match the account address on your bank account. I will give you two things to try. Contact them first thing in the morning. They're not so busy anymore. Go to treasurydirect.gov and uh, you'll find the number there. In addition, if that doesn't work and you can't get through to them, post on my blog, ask Terry, I don't want your social security number, but give me your name, your address, your phone number, and the um, and the bank under which you tried, not your bank account number, you tried to open the account, and I will 
uh, crop that out and send it to my contact at Treasury Direct. There, I'll your other question, Jeff. Secondly, secondly, if I can ask about the Social Security, I I'm work. I'm 76. I'm working. I collect, uh, of course, income from the work. I collect uh, RMD, and I collect Social Security. My wife gets a pension from IMRF uh, teachers and collects Social Security. Listening to your conversations. Is she allowed to get some additional Social Security off of me? Um, when you're dead, maybe, maybe, maybe. She's okay. the, you are in the middle of a complicated situation, and that is that people who get public employee uh, pension fund benefits mm-hmm. have something called an offset, a WEP. It's it's, it's a, a an aggravating kind of a thing. It says, well, you weren't playing in then, so we're reducing your benefits, even if you work for 15 years outside of the public employee job that gave you the the pension. Once again, MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com. This is really a complex decision, and I'm in the midst of working with famed economist Larry Kotlikoff. You'll see my column in a week. We're we're just working on it together now. Um, Social Security makes so many mistakes, and even worse than when they underpay you, is now Social Security has gone through a swath of people saying, we have overpaid you. And not only am I writing about this, and I've been on the phone with Social Security, but we're documenting, we're trying to document all these cases. And uh, Larry Kalkoff says, Janet Yellen's a good friend. He and I are going to her, and she's the ultimate trustee of the Social Security Trust Fund, and see if we can't fix it. So look for that column coming soon, and now we have more to talk about, I know. We have the record of all of the text messages you've sent in. If you didn't get it on the phone, try again next Wednesday. We're going to pause here, update you on some business news, and then Terry will continue to be with us, but this time we'll also join Sheila Weinberg, the founder and CEO of Truth in Accounting. Okay, so how solid are the state's finances? The business news continues now with Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Electric vehicle maker Rivian Automotive, which has a manufacturing plant in downstate Normal, says it expects a loss of nearly $4.5 billion in 2023. The company's issued its latest earnings report, and shares have fallen throughout the day. Rivian says it plans to build 50,000 vehicles this year, which would be double last year's production, but still below Wall Street estimates. The company says supply chain issues are still limiting production. During the quarter, Rivian says it encountered multiple days of lost production because of supplier shortages. Some McDonald's franchisees have concerns about the company's collaboration with rapper Cardi B. She starred in a Super Bowl commercial that featured a McDonald's meal for couples. Franchisees say the rapper's songs with profanities and sexual content hurt the chain's family-friendly brand. They also say the partnership violates the Golden Arches Code of Marketing Guidelines for store owners and employees. That code prohibits music partnerships associated with content with offensive language in the lyrics. McDonald's says the marketing collaborations are bringing in a new generation of diners and driving sales. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Business of food time. Here's Steve Alexander. Thank you. And before we talk farming with Ukrainian farmer Nick Gordachuk, let me tell you that we're sponsored by the Chevy Silverado HD. Experience your life in HD. Visit ChevyDriveChicago.com. And speaking of, some of those HD trucks would sure come in handy in Ukraine, where a group of farmers chipped in to buy pickups for troops on the front lines. And how many pickups so far, Nick? Together, we delivered over 450 pickups. That's This is something that our brigades are using to be mobile, you know, like mobile brigades so they can be quick. And that's uh, 
something that the country cannot afford at the moment. So we as farmers, we think we can, uh, you know, while not being there fighting, that's one of the contributions we can make. As he told us yesterday, farmers see themselves as being a second front in the war, donating cash and medical supplies, warm clothing, bikes and trucks, and of course, food to people on or near the front lines. Uh, meanwhile, back on the farm, Nick says he thought if they could get through the chaos of last year, this year would be better. You know, when we spoke last year, I thought that this first year of war will be very difficult. But now I see that the first year was still okay because we were still using our old we were, so to say, living on old fat that we had some some credit lines, some uh, money we had on the bank accounts. But now this season will be really difficult for many farmers. Uh, now it's even worse. We don't know whether we, tomorrow we will be able to go and plant uh, our wheat or sunflowers or barley. And there's a lot of land that is not being farmed. Yeah, well, for several reasons. Uh, some farmers didn't plant or will not plant because their land are full with mines and rocket fragments and they don't clean it because they don't know whether uh, it will maybe it will be again with uh, you know with uh, mines and rockets so why to clean it now plus there are not enough resources to clean it all and nick says among the things ukrainians have going for them as they push back against the russians uh, hope people are still hopeful they hope that uh, the war will be over and they can and get back to their regular life. Now, there are a couple of bright-ish spots which Nick will tell us about tomorrow. That's the business of growing food in a war zone on 720 WGN. Terry, why did you invite Sheila Weinberg from Truth and Accounting on? Because she is the only one who tells the truth about state and city accounting. And I'll tell you what happened. First of all, and this is not political. This is just me being, wait, how do they do that? In fact, I sent her an email a few days ago saying, here we go again. How do they do that? First, we had the governor announcing that we had, you know, a balanced budget. And we, Sheila and I exchanged emails about that last month. And then two days ago or three days ago, Moody's raised the credit rating of the state of Illinois, which, of course, you know, oh, my goodness, we must be fine. And I wrote to Sheila and said, how do they do that? I mean, it's one thing for a politician to say it, but is Moody saying we're okay? And Sheila has the perfect answer. I said, look, don't let me to explain this. Let's get Sheila to explain. Here is Sheila Weinberg, the founder and CEO of Truth in Accounting. Hi, Sheila. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, and thanks for having me on. Thanks for Terry uh, for her trying to get this message out. You know, we just believe that the government's you know, governor is doing what we call financial catfishing. You know, he's creating this false identity that Illinois is fiscally responsible. The budgets are balanced. They've been balanced for four years. We have a surplus, and the pensions are fully funded. Um, he's also touting that they're putting money into the rainy day fund. Um, but he's doing that. All of that's going on while he's shorting the pension plans, and the state is more than $200 billion in the hole. He said that we are back in good fiscal order and the state is building its fiscal foundations for the road ahead at his state of the state address. Um, I, I'm not sure what's what here. I mean, that sounds good, right? It all sounds good, but you need to look at the state's audit. Don't just believe me. Look at the state's audited financial statement. It shows that the state's more than $200 billion in the hole. Uh, look at the states. Uh, you probably won't look at them. They're very boring. But if you look at the states, um, uh, uh, 
pension plans, financial statements, they show that the pension plans are owed more than $140 billion. Um, they show also, they showed that, again, while the governor claimed he balanced the budget, everything was fine, those statements show that he shorted the pensions by more than $3.5 billion while he said the 2022 budget was bad. haven't we been doing that? Like, put it this way, uh, I'm not shocked to hear that. I thought that's what we've been doing since before Blagojevich. So um, is it at least getting better? Are we whittling away at that debt? No, that just, just continually goes up because, again, think of it like your credit card. If you don't pay the minimum payments on your credit card, and that's what the governor is doing, the pension uh, actuaries say the minimum payment is $14 billion, and he's only putting $11 billion on. And if you short your, don't pay your minimum payments on your credit card, what's going to happen to the balance of those credit cards? They're going to continue to increase. Are those the actual numbers, Sheila? We owe $14 billion a, a year, is it? And we're only putting $11 billion in? Yes. And is that, the, is that the principal and interest or just the interest payment? That's the principal and interest. Okay. And so rather than funding other programs or funding existing programs, should we be taking another $3 billion and putting it towards that pension debt? Yes. The, the SEC charged in 2013 the state of Illinois with securities fraud because they were claiming that this plan that the governor is currently using, Rahner used it, uh, Quinn used it, um, it started, the game started in Edgar's administration. They created this, what, what an SEC official called a balloon payment on steroids plan, and the SEC said there's no way that that funds the pension plans, and they, they gave the state of Illinois a cease and desist order saying that you should no longer, you can no longer say that what you're paying into the plan is fully funding the plan. But that's what the governor continues to do. And yeah, it's an old story, but it's a really big story. It's a four to five billion dollars shorting every single year. One more thing, Sheila. The government, the Illinois got a lot of money from the federal government. Is that how we paid off all of our, remember there were always stories about didn't get paid and, and services, uh, you know, vendors to the state of Illinois weren't getting paid. But Where now did they that are. money go? But, now they, but I thought, go ahead, answer that question. Yeah, that money was not supposed to be used to pay off debt. It wasn't supposed to be. Remember, Illinois borrowed money from the federal. They had to borrow money. Illinois is in such bad shape, they had to borrow money from the Federal Reserve, which opened up a special borrowing facility during COVID for them. They were the only state that used it, but they had to because they were in such bad shape. And then, even though they weren't supposed to use federal money to pay off that, that debt, pay off those old bills, just coincidentally, after they got $8 billion from the state, they were able to pay those bills off. And back to the credit ratings, which the governor is touting that, wow, great, we're, we must be in, we're in great financial shape. The credit ratings are not a rating of the government's financial condition. They are only a rating on whether the bonds are going to get paid. They are not a public report card, even though the governor and other governors use them. Right. And you just explained how they're using the money maybe to do that, but at the rest of our peril, because now other things aren't getting tended to, we should be actually paying off our debt more, if I understand right. correctly. And the worst thing that's going on with this, quote, what we're calling cat financial catfishing, is 
The governor's going around touting this good financial condition. He's touting additional tax and spending programs. And people are making going along with this, but they have bad information. Um, so we really can't even be knowledgeable participants in our state government because we're being told everything is fine. We're making decisions based on that. We're supporting spending and tax policies based on that. And we really believe this is harming our representative form of government. The governor was going to join us today. He was not able to. I'm kind of glad he didn't because I'm going to take this information and run it by him if he can still make our appointment next week. Sheila Weinberg is the founder and CEO at truthandaccounting.org. Sheila, thank you today. Very interesting. Thank you, and great to talk to you, Terry. Thanks, John. Thanks for doing this. I, I think it's just, it's not political. It's accounting ledger domain. It's it's fooling with the books and nobody knows. I'm not a great accountant either, but Sheila Weinberg and truthandaccounting.org are. TerrySavage.com. Okay, Terry, let's visit next Wednesday. Absolutely.